In this episode, Ryan and I discuss a new element of the noise, the Internal Revenue Code Section 7702 changes. We had fun. Hope you enjoy listening. Thank you. Welcome to the Banking with Life podcast. I'm your host, James Nethery. And I'm your co-host, Ryan Griggs. And so it's been a while. It's been a minute, as they say. Mr. Griggs has been traveling all over the country. You know, uh, <laughs> yeah. All over, all over the uh, independent Republic of Texas, maybe. <laughs> uh, but here we are, beautiful Saturday morning in uh, November. And we're going to talk about the uh, 7702 changes. Yeah. So what, what are the, what's the technical name of that act that they slid in on December 23rd of 2020? It's the Consolidated Appropriations Act. Right. And so this, and it is November 2021. That'll be important for people who are looking back in the future. This is when this is this is when this happened. It's a, kind of the first time something like this has happened. Um, and it, it caused since a, 1984, right? It caused <laughs> all sorts of confusion and consternation. So I'd, I'd like to give a little overview of, of the technical change. Well, before you get there, because you're, you're going to, he's going to do a very good overview. Um, and, you know, over, over the last 11 months on social media, you know, all these agents are talking about this and that and got to do things now, got to wait. And everybody, even, even <laughs> myself, you know, I've like, I've made some uh, predictions and, I'm quite happy to look back at my predictions and say, yep, good job, Mr. Nethery. I'm just saying that there's been a lot of, there's been a lack of clarity. Yeah. And a lot of conversations. And I want to say a few things about that because the, <laughs> in all the uncertainty and all the lack of understanding and all the confusion about what life insurance is and, uh, how it should be designed, whether it can be designed, uh, um, all the noise amongst amongst all the noise online. <laughs> uh, it's e people have this natural desire to want to categorize, to figure things out, you know, to to sift through, to find right and wrong. Sure. And uh, um, in all the darkness, right? If we're shrouded in mystery and lack of understanding, and we we and certain things arise. You know, 1090, <gasps> you know, I'm going to jump on that. Oh, structure. I care all about structure. Um, oh, big four. Oh, I've heard their name before. They got a, they have a big marketing budget. I'm going to grab onto that. You know, um, these little things that people, that, that there's some degree, some minimal degree of understanding about what they mean and how it actually relates to what we do in IBC. But it's something to talk about. And, it ha you know, agents latch on to it. A, a couple weeks ago, I think I told you about it. There was, I had a, it was, he was an age, a client of another agent who had started recently <laughs> paying substantial premium. I wrote an article about this recently on my Medium blog. I'll refer to him as E. Okay, hold on. Because <laughs> I love this. Yeah. And you should read, we should post the link to the Medium blog in here because that, <laughs> that, uh, article, uh, it's exactly what we're talking about. Exactly. But it's like, I'm like, oh my gosh, I have a new nickname for Mr. Griggs <laughs> out of the article. It says, uh, <laughs> let me insert the obligatory caveat here. For the agents who complain to their clients and colleagues every time 
they're made aware of an article that I write with an opinion they don't like. <laughs> write your own damn article <laughs> and tell me where I'm wrong. Mr. Write Your Own Damn Article Griggs. <laughs> that article is what he's talking about. Yeah. Okay. So, this, so E, call me. E is a client of another agent who I don't know. Uh, e hers about the podcast, probably watch, probably watching now. Uh, wanted to talk with me. And so my advisory services are complimentary to clients because there's built-in compensation in the sale of life insurance. So that all works out. But for clients of other agents, that arrangement is not there. And so, you know, I'm not just, this isn't charity. I do a lot of charity work. This isn't it. Uh, but we came to an agreement <laughs> about like a paid consulting situation. And so we did an hour over video call. And in he preparation. Paid, he paid prior to the call. Oh, yeah. <laughs> in, in preparation for this hour, I looked at the website uh, associated with the agent who sold E these policies. I'm not going to name, as per usual, I'm not going to name the particular website, but this particular website talked about so-called synthetic non-direct recognition. Oh, the both-on. We appreciate <laughs> the work that Nelson did bringing infinite banking concepts, you know, to light. But, but it's, and, but, but behold the underlying <laughs> truth. But it's so antiquated. You know, there's yeah, all that, these ways to fix it. Oh make it better. my gosh. Yeah. So synthetic non-direct, which is a made up thing. It's direct recognition. It sounds they, good. Yeah. Where they tell you to go get, you know, direct recognition, as you know, as our listeners know, means that the company reserves the right to reduce or eliminate the dividend in the event a policy owner has a loan balance outstanding at the end of a policy year. And so an agent who's representing a direct recognition company will tell a client, look, don't take the loan from the company. Just go collateralize the policy with a third-party lender. Cheaper money. You lower get the full interest rate. dividend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and there's all sorts of problems. Anyway, so I did this you're article. you're becoming your own banker by collateralizing <laughs> one of the best assets that you could possibly own to a third-party lender. With another banker. Yeah. Hey, listen, my full disclosure here. Banker, if you're listening um, and you have to foreclose or call that note or the note doesn't perform and you're going to own that life insurance policy, I'll buy it. Yeah. <laughs> Even if it is a direct recognition company. Yeah. But this was just a great example of how, you know, this particular agent on this website had one article up there that said, you know, the best contract, the best policy for cash value life insurance. And it was one particular product from one particular company. And then the article alleging to explain why this was the case showed a cherry picked example. Absolutely. Using cherry picked contracts from cherry picked companies. So you'll use one contract with the company that they represent. Right. And get paid. Right. And then a, whatever contract that, that they can disparage or prove a great difference right. in how much this is better than this one. That shows their preferred one. In a <laughs> Absolutely. And, and so not only is it cherry-picked contracts, cherry-picked timelines, but then they also mm -hmm. go in there and manipulate the illustration, right? When is the policy going to mech? Does it mech? Right. Did they reduce pay up? Were loans involved? I mean, oh, all, everything that can possibly be done to present an illustration, numbers on a page, 
that are guaranteed to change, guaranteed to change, to get the client to say yes, so they and get look, paid. Yeah, and look, we I mean, we could assume angelic intentions. We could say, look, they don't know. They're just doing all this because that's what they were taught. At the end of the day, it, it doesn't provide a coherent, comprehensive apples-to-apples -apples comparison on this particular point. So my, my overall point, this is just one example. My overall point is that people who don't fully understand the contract or the or, or the industry or the companies start to grab on to certain things. You know, if you don't know much about cars, maybe you're all about a V6 or all about a V8, right? I have no idea about the recall history for a particular model or particular company or whatever. You know, you, you grab on to things that are available to read about and talk about and that the agent might know a bit about. 7702 changes is like that, right? I think that I, I, I had a client send me something from somebody else. I, I, and I emailed them back. I'm like, you could spend all the time in the noise you want. I had a client send me a blurb from some email that was getting sent to him yeah. uh, that was from a few months ago, urging him, rushing him to act fast because you're no longer going to get a guaranteed 4% interest rate growth. Yeah, right. And I'm like, that is so misleading. Like whether or not you should act fast or not, beside the point that it, it doesn't follow that you should act fast from the fact that the what is now called the insurance interest rate is going to change because there, there and, and one of the implications of this change in the 7702, which we'll get into, I think will be greater confusion. And a lot of the marketing material that was put out when this rate was different, uh, when we, it was called the standard non-forfeiture rate typically and before around this time, the standard non forfeiture rate was 4% and eight, some agents took that, this legally regulated number and said that because the quote unquote standard maximum non forfeiture rate is 4%, that therefore means every policy owner is gonna get a guaranteed growth rate of 4% in their contract. <laughs> that's and that's like, oldest no, numbers. that doesn't follow. But and they can point to the illustration and even in the contract that says 4% guaranteed basis of value. That's what it says. That's what it says. And then it's like, okay, well, you're going to get a 4%. Well, let, let's, uh, you're exactly right. If I pay $100,000 in premium, round numbers, if I pay $10,000 in premium and, you know, we're going to get a 5% dividend, right? And we're going to get a 4% guarantee. If I pay $10,000, wouldn't I expect $10,900 at the end of year one? Yeah. Wouldn't I? Oh, wait, no, no, because now you got to do a 90-10. All right, so if I pay 10000 on a 90-10 because the 10% of the premium is buying the insurance and then 90% to the PUA is buying cash, verbatim, right? They've probably gone back and taken those videos off the YouTube. I don't know. Oh, there's going to have to be so much. <clears throat> okay, well, wouldn't I expect $9,900 at the end of year one? Yeah, 10000 yeah. Yeah. Oh, but well, then why didn't it happen? Right. Well, something's wrong. Right. And now if you live or die on a point like that, if it's been a 4% guarantee and now it's 2% guarantee or 3.75 or whatever it's going to be, what do you got to do? <clears throat> you got to back up and, and how are you going to rectify what you said? Right. right? In, in the, in the hill that you're living and dying on. Right. Right. Well, it's, it's going to be spun. There are master marketers out there. 
It's going to be, <laughs> of course, 10% to the base is too low. You got to raise your base. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. <clears throat> but we'll see. We'll see. All right. So let me go through what the specific, <laughs> what specific things did change. And I'll try to do it as briefly as possible without getting too technical. Um, cause I want to get to the actual takeaways. All right. So there was the December, 2020, there was the consolidated appropriations act. And the takeaway for us is that section seven, seven Oh two of the IRS code was amended. Uh, specifically section seven, seven Oh two enumerates what are called the cash value accumulation test and the guideline single premium test. So CVAT or GSP, whichever one you want to use. Well, the whole life uses CVAT. Yep. So the point is that these tests essentially uh, regulate or determine how quickly cash value can grow inside of a life insurance, a whole life insurance contract relative to death benefit for the purposes of modified endowment contract tax status, right? So in other words, if the growth in cash value in a particular dividend paying whole life contract exceeds the growth uh, threshold specified by, for example, CVAT, the cash value accumulation test. If that cash value growth violates that test, then that policy would become a MEC. Okay, so section 7702 enumerates these tests, and these tests are used to determine whether specific whole life insurance contracts become MECs or not. Now, in order to do that, these tests, both CVAT and GSP, have to account for interest, the time value money, the passage of time. Since 1984, well, it's, it's really since 1988. In 1984 is when we got the Deficit Reduction Act that started 7702. In 1988, we got what's called the seven pay test and what we currently use for determining modified endowment contracts. Since the late 80s, the interest rate accounted for in CVAT and GSP was a fixed number of 4%. Okay. Essentially, it's an interest rate, right? So interest rates are used to discount future cash flows, right? Uh, there's a, we can say that there's a interest growth incorporated in cash value growth. Remember, cash value is the net present value of the death benefit. It's a present valuation calculation. In present valuation, we have interest growth. What is, at the end of the day, there has to be some foundation starting interest rate growth component to that calculation. 7702, prior to 2020, said that that was 4%. That number, the nature of that number, and the numbers itself, the quantity, have changed. Before, it was a fixed number, 4%. Now, it's going to be an indexed or variable number. So it will change over time, and I'll get into how that will happen. Uh, and it's no longer four, right? And in fact, it'll effectively go, effectively go from one particular number to a range of potential numbers, right? Different companies can choose, essentially within a given range, different, what it, what it will be called, well, they can choose different standard maximum non-forfeiture interest rates in order to build these whole life policies. Okay? And so some company the rate right, the, the range of possible rates is 2% to 3.75. Right. It was previously fixed at 4, it's now gone to 2 to 3.75. 
and it will likely stay that way for a period of years. These rates, for reasons that I'm not gonna get into here, are likely to, they will vary, but they will only vary after a period of years. The, an article from the Society of Actuaries says that historically, uh, the particular rate upon which the maximum non the maximum standard non-forfeiture rate varies. That rate only changes every eight to nine years, historically speaking. And so the it, it would follow that the maximum standard non-forfeiture interest rate, this number that everybody's referring to, uh, will only change every eight to, let's say, every eight to 10 years. Historically. That's historically speaking. Yeah, yeah. Could change, but <clears throat> for now, that historically speaking, that's what it's been. So... As we sit here in November 2021, most companies in preparation for 2022 are in the process of or have already changed over their products and their software that agents use to build illustrations in order to apply for certain policies. So a lot of these changes have already occurred. Um, the companies have already decided what they're going to do. Right. What interest rate they're going to use as a basis of values. And not all of the companies have their final product out that must be uh, and can only be used, these new values, January 1, 2022. So like any industry that is competitive, all of the companies wait till the last minute because they don't want to put a product on the street and have the competitor see and then they massage their construct and yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but they're, they're going to, this is November, they're all going to be out by most of them by the end of November. Yeah. Effectively now, right? We got Thanksgiving and yeah. December and you got travel plans. I mean, it's effectively done. Yeah, um, but there are some companies that still don't have the product out. Right. So they just won't, you, there just won't be an option there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they're going to wait to the very last minute. Yeah. And don't think that a company won't put it out there. And if they're like way off the base, all their other competitors, they'll pull it back, which that happens quite often. Oh, when the CSO sure. tables change. But most of the companies of, you, you know, if you're in the industry, you know what most of the companies are going to use. Yeah. So just to summarize and, and specify the key points, there used to be this discount factor, this time value money, this uh, basis of values, as James has referred to it, that was a fixed number, and that was 4%. The 4% number has been incorrectly marketed as a minimum growth rate in yep. cash value and dividend paying whole life. It never was that. That's how it's been referred to very often. You can still find videos and articles talking about it. It used to be 4% and it was that number and it, that's what it's been since the 80s. That number is, no, is now no longer fixed. It's a range of numbers and that range will change every so often. Historically, that change has occurred every eight to nine years. Uh, right now, the range of the, of the potential basis of values that companies can choose between for some or all of their products is two to 3.75%. And so because there's now a range, there's going to be a conversation about, should I choose a product with a lower basis in values, say closer to the 2%, or should I choose one at the higher end, say closer to the 3.75% for the purposes of IBC <clears throat> and why? Right. Well, I might insert the why. Other people will just tell you what they think. But um. Well, this adjustment, let me say this adjustment period, you know, it's only historically only every eight years or so, but there are years that are called adjustment years. Mm -hmm. This is an adjustment year. So it's not like a, 
a, a company is going to change every year. Right. Right. They can't. So yeah. I just want to, it's not like, you know, indexed universal life policy or where all of these moving parts are changed. Um, yes. As the wind blows monthly. And once quarterly. the product is sold, oh. that rate, that basis of values, it will be what it is, it is. for that product. Yeah. Right. It's not like a something, like, it's not like, say, a policy loan interest rate, which can vary throughout the life of the policy. Once the policy is in force, the basis of values that was required to be used by companies at that time for that product will be the basis of values for that contract. Right. In a sense, you could think that the number would have to be known at the time the contract's created. Otherwise, the actuaries wouldn't be able to tell you how much in death benefit you'd get in the future. So the, yeah, the number will be fixed. A um, couple things. At the end of the day, <laughs> we can't control any of this. Interest rates are what they are. There's an argument out there to suggest that it, quote unquote, had to be done, right? We're in a low interest rate environment. If you think of the 80s, interest rates, much higher. Yeah, let's down. talk about that. You know, my phone, I'm sure yours too, is blown off the wall for the last at least two months, getting down to the nitty gritty of the changes. And then when the companies, you know, come out with their changes, the insurance agent is like, oh my gosh, you know, what do we do here? What, what do we do, we do, do there? Yeah. And... It, and I'm not saying all of them, but a lot of them are bent out of shape. And that's been my point is like, why are you getting bent out of I'm shape? So surprised you cannot change it. You have zero choice. Right. You can't call up the Fed, tell them to change overnight funds rate. Call up Wall Street and tell them to change market. Right. You know, you, you can't control any of that. So at the end of the day, it is what it is. The parameters have changed. So, uh, you know, deal with it, figure it out. And this... Uh, for several years have encouraged agents to know their product, right? You should know your product. If you're an agent selling anything, and especially life insurance, you should know your product. Yeah. And if you know your product, then you know how to design a policy for a given client in a given situation, and they should never look the same. A policy should never look identical, unless you're identical twins. Um. So all the agents have an opportunity to to enhance their knowledge yeah. on their product and uh, for the benefit of their clients. And so, so here's a prediction. <laughs> like with everything that we already deal with, structure and all this, there will be agents who say, we've done our analysis. And it turns out that, for example, you should always get a contract this with 2%. is the way to do this it. This is the way to do it. I, I guarantee it'll happen. It's going to happen. And, and you'll have different offices saying different things, just like with structure nowadays, right? And then, and this will lead to more confusion. People will say, well, so-and-so says this, and so uh, other and other says that. Do you remember who Marion Barry, Mary Barry was? Mm -mm. He was, a, I think, a mayor of New York City. Oh. Got, top, got caught on videotape doing a cocaine deal or a drug deal. Oh. And then he runs for office later. And, and somebody and somebody questions him about the drug deal, and, and he says, "Who are you going to believe, me or the tape?" <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> it just reminds me of that. Yeah, and, and so it will happen. And and like my response with the, in those other areas, I I, th I don't think there will be a single right answer. Right, there are going to be trade-offs and so what is better than trying to pigeonhole this into the new one-size-fits-all thing to make your sales process more efficient 
will be, and it'll, it, it will complicate things, of course, but you know, what's new life in 2021 America, we'll have to have a conversation about what the trade-offs are for choosing something with a, a contract with the basis of values closer to the minimum of 2% or up to the, the maximum of 3.75. And so let's consider, okay, so what is the, you know, if I, if I'm on the one hand, I can choose a contract with the basis of values of 2%. And on the other hand, I can choose a contract with the basis of values of 3.75%. And in both cases, I'm going to pay the same premium. I'm of course the same person, right? I'm trying to decide between the two. This is an all else equal apples to apples. This is the only difference, right? What would the change be then? Well, think of it this way, lower <laughs> discount rate, lower interest rate, is going to mean for the same input, for the same premium, less of that future cash flow, right? 10,000 today at 5% is 10.5 a year from now. 10,000 today at 10% is, is 11,000 a year from now, right? Lower interest rate, lower future, lower future cash flow, lower future value. So in life insurance, same premium, everything's the same. Only thing you change is that minimum basis. The same premium is gonna buy less death benefit. Right, that is will be true across the board. But there's also other trade-offs. Cash value may grow quicker. Now, why would that be? Well, if I'm picking a lower discount rate, if I have my interest rate, my basis of values is lower, and I have a lower death benefit to the insurance company, that lower death benefit is a lower liability. That lower liability means that there's a lower net amount at risk to the company. Net amount at risk is the difference between the cash value and the death benefit, which is a very old argument. Is like, oh, look at the life insurance company. You know, yeah. they're charging you more for less. But the, the, the important the thing is though that cash value is the inverse of the net amount at risk. So if the death benefit's lower, the net amount at risk is lower and the inverse of the net amount of risk is cash value, then there can be situations where cash value could, per premium dollar, could, go, could grow quicker, even if the death benefit is lower. I know it sounds bizarre, but that could happen. And there's going to be other, you know, as companies continue to implement their software and fix the errors that I'm sure they're making, uh, additional implications will arise. Right. Well, well, that is from the basis of premium too, right? So the yep. difference in death benefit. So if you if you look at it from the premium basis, it's exactly right. And the difference is, you know, if you look at it from a death benefit basis or a face amount basis, you know, then the cash values are different, right? Yeah, the premium is different. And this, here's going to be another That's source right. of confusion. It, no question yeah, is that people are going to go online, understandably, and they're going to start trying to poke around at various life insurance related resources mm -hmm. without acknowledging or without remembering that the entire industry is coming from a death benefit centric perspective. Yes. And even the actuaries that wrote this lovely article, all of them. I mean, yeah. that's what, um, no question. It's the basis from which they operate yeah. life insurance companies, the death benefit, no question. And so, I mean, I, I think this is probably extremely confusing to most people so far. Uh, it, it's maybe not, maybe not disorienting, and that's understandable. But look, this, again, I go back to that original point. We don't want to just grab onto something because 
it's being discussed because it's popular because you know a lot of people are talking about it and then make decisions based on that alone there's other things to consider non-direct versus direct recognition dividend payment history mutuality flexibility in the pua right accessibility of the home office i wrote this i went to i have a big four contract from before i Figured out what was going on in the IBC world. You personally bought a big four or a policy from a big four life insurance company because you were exposed to Nelson Nash and you wanted to take advantage of that. Right. Right. So you call a household name over a hundred years old, very strong financially. So you called him and said, Hey, I want to become my own baker. Or something well, along something those lines. Like, <laughs> like, oh, yeah, okay, we can do this. I mean, you want to buy life insurance? Oh, so I can help gosh. you do that. Uh, yeah, it was weird. And the, and the policy is weird. You know. Do you still own it? I do. Perfect. Because you've encouraged me to keep it. <laughs> 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 uh, that's in this most recent experience. So I was ready. So I said accessibility to the home office. I call to figure out how much in PUA I can pay in the year. Because, again, another consequence of the whole bun- bungled policy design oh, what's process. your anniversary date because you can't pay it on any other date yeah well so i i this was two weeks ago so well we'll have to run a calculation I'm like okay can you do that and send it to me well didn't they first or they generally like call your agent i was pretty forceful so there wasn't a lot of uh, diverting because you've already called your agent previously and tried to educate them and they're just like you can lead a horse to water but you can't make them drink it's a whole separate thing. Yes, that's also occurred. <laughs> I don't want to disclose too much of your information, sir. <laughs> so the company's like, we'll have to run a calculation, by which they mean illustration. It's going to take five to seven business days. I'm like, okay, can you send it to me? Nope, we can only send it to your agent. Oh, of course. So then I got to email the, 20 minutes on the phone on hold to find out it's going to take five to seven more business days. And even when it's done, they're not going to send it to me. You got to talk to your agent anyway. So they're going to send it to the agent. <laughs> So home office accessibility, that matters. Um, uh, My point is other (laughs) component, this is just one component. And look, at the end of the day, this is about taking control of the banking function. This is about optimizing capital accumulation and deployment. And dividend paying whole life insurance from a mutual insurance company is still the best place to do that. Uh, You know, none of that has changed. Not one bit. And we're going through some, you know, a good, I don't want to give away free agent training here, but. uh, Well, listen, the only agents that are not going to, uh, you know, do some of the things you referred to earlier are the ones that listen. They don't want to be, you know, blasted. Well, it's going to, you know, more consequences for people who, agents who have lived and died by certain companies, Mm -hmm. it's going to be rough. Well, you know, um, let me let me share this. Right. And now, but I want to go back to the interest of the lowest interest rate environment, you know, and then they want to talk about the pandemic and, you know, everybody's buying life insurance because it's a health crisis. And it's like, oh, my gosh, quit buying into the narrative. I don't care who you are. Actuary. It's OK. Don't buy into the narrative. Uh, what do you know what interest rates were in ancient Rome? No, no. Historically, interest rates have been in and around five percent. So I don't have a, a, I mean, don't tell me that this is a boon for the life insurance companies, in my opinion, right? Um, 
I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I have no sympathy, right? Interest rates have been about 5% for 6,000 years of recorded history. And I'm talking about, you know, I get a little blowback so every now and then. It's like, James, are you saying this world is 6,000 years old? No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying 6,000 years of recorded history. As a side note, about 5%. I, I, I can't, I don't have any sympathy for, oh my gosh, the lowest interest rate environment ever. You know, we got to change all of this for you, insurance company, to make it. Oh, you're going to change all of this so the uh, hedge funds and the private equity groups can continue buying all these life insurance companies and then have a much larger margin for profits. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to go down the rabbit hole. I'm just saying interest rates have been low. They are low, no question. Lowest in our lifetime. But they're not the lowest interest rates ever. Right? They're not. Maybe some of these interest rates in the 80s and the 70s were uh, artificially created. Mm. Well, it's all all managed, right? Whether they're high or low, it's <laughs> managed, all managed. Yeah. Okay. Well, some, By the banking cartel, yeah. Yeah, they need to improve their management skills. Oh, wait, they, they have their management skills mastered for their benefit, not ours. I get it. But listen, I had, I had a conversation with a gentleman this week, young man. He's like, James, I, wanna, I would like for you to mentor me. <clears throat> I'm a newly licensed agent. And I get those calls quite often, and I take every phone call from the life insurance agent. And, um, and I don't try to mentor them all. I mean, I try to be very helpful. But we had this conversation, and, and, uh, and he said, well, you know, I just bought a policy with this company. And I'm like, well, how old are you? He was young, and he wants to practice the infinite banking concept. And I said, well, why did you buy that company? He said, well, because they were old and uh, over 100 years old and very strong, they're good financials. And I said, well, you just described the top 20 life insurance companies in in North America. Yeah. Why did you buy them? They're a direct recognition company, and you're a young man, and you're going to practice banking over Ooh, your lifetime. I know the company you're talking about. Dead silence on the phone. I said, you don't even know what that is, do you? No. So you've gone through this process done an application, substantial premium. And I wonder why that never came up. Oh, because it wasn't in the agent's, uh, wasn't going to benefit the agent if the consumer knew that and if the consumer understood what that was going to do over his working lifetime, accumulating capital and practicing the infinite banking concept. Yeah. And this is over and over. You know, it's like two weeks prior to that. Uh, a couple calls and so you know we bought all these policies and then the agent left and now he's selling cheap mortgages and whatever won't return our call like why'd you get those policies well that's what he said and I mean um, the, and I've said it many times the life insurance industry deserves every black eye that they've earned right and there's going to be a wild west it's going to be your predictions, I mean, it's going to be exciting to see what unfolds over the next several months. Because if a company can use a 2% rate and a company can use a 3.75% rate, and maybe they have different products and different rates to different products, and one company has a product maybe to age 100 and then variations of that, and another company has five different products, I mean, it's going to be the Wild West. It's going to take some time for the agent to figure out you know, what they like to sell. And present. I have a pretty good idea. 
<laughs> I have a pretty They're, good idea of what I'd buy right now. I know what I'd buy. Is, and I'm buying. I buy. I'm a life insurance buyer. Then you know they're going to wear out the home office staff, right? Because they can't build an illustration. They're going to wear them out. So my heart goes out to you, actuaries, underwriters, and new business support staff. God bless you. Eat your Wheaties. Get your sleep. You know, take your vitamins. Because these agents are going to wear you out. Yeah. And you already know that. So but I don't want people to get the idea either that this is like a temporary confusion period. I think this is just an, an additional layer of complication that will continue to be a, a point of discussion for people for a long time. Like, I think if you're considering the infinite banking concept and you want to get started, you should get to it. And, you know, the interest rates are going to change. The basis of values of, at companies of, with products are going to change. The essential advisory conversation, in my view, shouldn't change. because Now, I'm not one of the, no. I've never hung my hat on structure or a particular company or any of that. And so the nature of my conversation and what matters really hasn't changed. I have a certain view about how long I want the payment period. I have a certain view about what I want out of my ability to pay PUA. I have a certain view of non-direct versus direct recognition. I have a certain view about how to choose the correct premium level. I have a certain view about how, to, how an individual might start thinking about structure for their own independent circumstances. Like all of those conversations, all of that analysis is the same. And this just becomes one additional point to further refine the criteria. And in a, in a sense, it might even make it easier. Like there could be, all right, well, if we want to have a higher basis of values, because we don't want to sacrifice death benefit per premium dollar, well, then we'll go in this direction. If we want to, if we don't care so much about that, <clears throat> look, here's one consideration. Here's one, a reason somebody might choose a lower basis of values in order to, so death benefit becomes more expensive per premium dollar when you use a lower, relatively lower basis of values. And so you might say, well, why would I want to pay more premium for the same amount of death benefit? Well, if you know that the amount of death benefit you can get is limited, if you know that in your lifetime you have a maximum insurability called your human life value, that the industry will only ever let you buy so much death benefit. And if my goal is to buy as much death benefit, in other words, if my goal is to pay as much premium mm -hmm. per the maximum death benefit number per my maximum human life value that I will someday reach, well, then it might be a good thing from the perspective of IBC, to pay more premium dollars for that given amount of death benefit, right? It could be a scenario where if I wanted to pay a, a strong premium that with a company that offers a contract with a relatively high basis of values, that I would buy too much death benefit, in other words, a death benefit that the industry says is not suitable for me because they know best how much your life is worth, right? That could happen. It has happened. And so there may be a motivation to manage how much death benefit goes in force and when, right? There is such a thing as hitting your maximum death benefit, your maximum insurability relatively early, thereby limiting how much total premium you can pay into policies wherein you're the insured party, right? So, yeah, you know, don't hold your breath for these online financial entertainers to be talking about 
that perspective, right? They're gonna, that is much more difficult to filter and distill down into a one-liner than it is to just choose a one-size-fits-all position. Here's what we do. And so like everything else we've talked about here, it's going to depend upon your individual circumstances. It's going to depend about uh, on your understanding of IBC. It's going to depend on your financial circumstances, your ability, your desire to pay premium, how you view your ability to pay premium changing over time, and with what degree of certainty or confidence you you maintain those expectations. Right? All of this is going to and look to to agents that haven't hung their hat on a on one talking point. Oh, we use this company that had 3.5 trillion or billion with Bernie Madoff, or oh, we only use Big Four, <laughs> you know, oh, 1090, oh, we got to use blended PUA term, you know. For it's going to be, I can understand how it might be tough for them, but for well, agents they'll, they'll that have always taken a holistic view, this is just one more data point. And I can already, I, I'm just saying it now because I can already, I, I know it's coming. I know it's coming. And it's going to lead to more confusion. Oh, it's going to lead to more frustration. It's going to lead to more exasperation on the phone than necessary. I, I, I was telling clients before this all happened, because they were online getting the emails and watching the YouTube videos with a bunch of people talking out of their rear end, saying that they know what's going to happen prior to the changes. And, and the client's getting all concerned about it. And I'm like, relax, relax. This is just one more change that uh, among a whole basket of changes. The, the financial truths have not changed. Basic, yes. fundamental, financial prudence it has not changed. So I, I agree with you. This, this uh, and let me say this: this will help the 1090 purchaser. You know that maybe you bought 1090 and because we've gotten pushed back. I know I've gotten pushed back, and it's like, well, when you do 1090, you you use up way too much insurability, and then you have these guys that have been licensed recently, or they can't sell life insurance, or whatever their situation is. And I don't want to disparage them. I just wish that they would do better. They're like, no, no, no. That's what are you talking about? No, no. What I mean, we're all limited on the amount of life insurance we can have enforced from all sources. And when you 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 have to use a lot of term, however you put that on there, whether straight term rider or blended PUA, to get to that god awful structure that is not good for the owner over any kind of a time period. It uses too much insurability. Yeah. So if um, and you got to use a blended term PUA to get longevity in PUA. Oh You're going God. to handicap the future growth. No Who question. knows if the dividend on the illustrations indexed? I mean, there's a <laughs> there's a laundry list of other problems. There's a ton this, of things. This change in seven seven zero two, it has no effect on at least my opinion on on. I was going to use a bad word on mutilated, let's say, structures like. Tonight, where you have no base. And who knows if that'll be the case. If death benefit, say in for the companies, the contracts at these companies that will even allow that, suppose they do choose the lower end of the range that's now allowable. Well, the death benefit associated with the base premium is going to go down as well. So the already small foundation on those policies is going to get smaller. And so will they support 90% of PUA? Who knows? Will it help for how long will it be? Who knows? In order to get it for a long time, you can bet your left eye that it will be with a blended term PUA rider, which introduces 
annually recurring changes mm, in mortality. No, you're not going to go very long on a blended PUA rider. In reality. Well, I... I, I agree, but what I'm saying is that I mean I it, think it'll illustrate that way, but it's be, not going to happen. I know, and that's my yeah. point. That's what will be used to get the yeah the illustration to print. Sure, 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 sure. You got to get they you. I mean, it, it's it's caveat emptor. You know, the illustration has to be constructed in such a way to get the client to say yes, so they get paid. It's like I'm a capitalist. Uh, you know, I believe uh, uh, profits. Um, have built the free world, okay? Um, so I'm not opposed to that. But it's like, my gosh, it is the educated consumer and the educated agent advisor that gets to the proper individual solution. And that, period, period. You cannot shortcut that um, by artificial efficiency, hmm. by mutilating a policy, you cannot shortcut your education. You're gonna. We all pay for education. You're not going to shortcut your learning by listening to sound bites and <clears> making <throat> a decision. What I call them drive-by accusations and innuendos. And it's like it's it's. Uh, so just take the time to educate yourself. This is my point. Um, but it reminds me. That reminds me of like you know we're all on Facebook or social media or somewhere. I know. TikTok, wherever. Um, and if anything comes up about life insurance, I love reading the comments and the threads. All of these ads, you know, you get stalked by them. I do. I know you do. And I love reading the comments, especially when it comes to whole life insurance. You have a gazillion armchair quarterbacks or financial experts. However, they became a financial expert, you know, working in the factory or um, fishing or whatever it is they do, they're all experts. And they all use the same limited sound bites that <laughs> they get from the talking heads. And they're just adamant, like, oh my gosh, this is whatever their point is. And it's negative, typically on the life insurance or the life insurance agent. It's like they're adamant, like they are convinced. Yeah. And it's it's comical. And then you have the newly formed agents or the prime America agents that jump on and all the agents and advisors. And I'm not, they, they could be fiduciaries in their own term. Uh, they all jump on it. And it's like, I would rather read politics. <laughs> I would rather watch the news um, after a, a, a bit. I mean, at first it's very entertaining, but then it's never anything new. Never. And yeah. You shouldn't make a decision, any decision based on sound bites, especially financial decisions or health decisions. You know, we're living in that era. It's like, oh my gosh. Um, it is, I like what you said. It's just another point of conversation, another point that uh, maybe needs a little clarity. At the end of the day, you don't have capital. You don't have access to capital. You're not going to become your own banker, period. And as long as you don't have capital, you don't have access to capital, you're going to be beholden to a gatekeeper, a third-party lender. And you can have all of that you want. And you can engage with every financial guru out there that will help you maintain that position. And they get paid to do that. It's like, oh, my gosh. How much of that do you want? None. I know you listening. You don't want any of it. Perfect. Yeah. 
And my last thing would be, you know, don't use this as an excuse to procrastinate, to put it off. I mean, it's, and that will, I know that'll happen because uh, it, it, it's called resistance. People find reasons to put off something, <laughs> a major change. And this will be one of them. Yeah. Like everything else, like confusion about structure, like confusion about company selection, like confusion about direct versus non-direct recognition. So this will just be another one, another element of the noise. Yep. There you go. And it'll Section be on both 7702, sides. Another element of the noise. <laughs> That's all it really is. And you can hang around in it for as long as you want. It's happening. So I thought, it, or we thought it would be good to talk about just to give hopefully a little more insight into what it is, why it matters, and to the extent that it doesn't matter. Um, because you're going to hear about it anyway. <laughs> you're going to hear about it from both sides. So the yeah. the individual uh, guru that hates whole life insurance, you see, see now it's a two percent guarantee, right? Yeah, <laughs> they, they are. They're going to know. Yeah, they're going to have I mean, one size fits all. What's yeah. new? Yeah. And you can use. I mean, I think the consumer can use the same uh, norms, the same methods of sort of screening what they read. This one, the one size fits all mentality needs to be set aside. And you can swim around in it as long as you want and spend as many hours of your life as you feel is, is required. And then eventually you'll run upon something that doesn't quite make sense. And then you'll maybe choose to step out of the noise and you'll never get all those hours back. So, you know, spend as much time as you like yeah. and it's, it's, it's worth being aware of, right? We don't want to be ignorant. We want to, we want to spend as much as is necessary, but then we want to make a decision and we want to take action so that we can become our own banker because that it's, is the whole point. No question. It's good. You should acknowledge it or recognize it. The most important thing to me is being able to recognize the noise. You know, it's if, if you're going to, you just should have the ability to recognize the noise. Um, that way you can avoid it. Yeah. Right. And how much time do you want to spend learning about the noise is time that you're a lot of that time you're not going to get back and you can't get the noise off of you if you get in there and roll around in it deep enough. And I always go back to the four fundamentals that Nelson left us with. Get pushback from erudites and academics. It's too simple. You know, his book was too simple. Blah, 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 blah. Number one, think long range. What is that? Next week? <laughs> next month? The end of my life? The end of my grandchild's life, the end of my great grandchild's life. Think long range, and that's really an exercise in discipline. We're not taught to think long range. It takes discipline. It takes practice. Okay, All right. Number two, don't be afraid to capitalize. I.e., don't be afraid to pay a premium. So, looking for any point to support your fundamental philosophical or physiological uh, resistance to change or do something different and to make a substantial purchase. Um, it's real, right? It's it's real. So you can go order a car. You can order the color, the combination, the engine. And when it comes time to write a check, there's a physiological response to that. It's natural. It's okay to recognize it and then move on. Don't be afraid to pay a premium. All right. Don't be afraid to capitalize, i.e. don't be afraid to pay a premium. And that normally takes, in my experience, personally, it took me about four years to get away from that fear. And I'm listening to Nelson every opportunity mm -hmm. that I possibly could. 
Mm-hmm. You know, so you individuals that don't have or haven't had the opportunity to listen to him live, I mean, I've got mad props for you. Mad props. Um, number three, don't steal the peas. Don't look, be an honest banker. This idea that you've got to get everything out or collateralize every cash value dollar that you have available is short-term thinking and it's in fear, right? And then not only is it short-term thinking, it's incorrect thinking and the continuation or the expansion of incorrect thinking is going to cause incorrect actions. My opinion, right? So if you request a loan, if you make a loan, You're not being an honest banker if you don't have a loan repayment plan, whatever that is. And it needs to be a correct plan. It could be sporadic. It could be monthly, whatever it is that needs to exist. You cannot go anywhere in the free world and borrow money without a loan repayment. And if you value the third party lender's money, why wouldn't you value your own more than you value someone else's? I mean, what is complicated about that? I don't give a dang what the IRS says about life insurance. I don't care how they classify it. And even the actuary stated in writing in here, preferential tax treatment of life insurance. Life insurance does not have a preferential tax treatment. And I know I've said that in the past. It's properly taxed. Okay. All right. And then number four, right? Don't do business with banks outside of savings and checking. And then Nelson added the fifth in his latter years, rethink your thinking. So, okay, following those four fundamentals plus the fifth one, you will avoid, just hold that up and and (laughs) see whatever information is coming your way. See if it meets that litmus test. Does it meet those five fundamentals? If it doesn't, it's probably noise. My opinion, right? And then, okay, James, well, you know, I appreciate the simplicity and me too. All right. All right. Listen, buy Nelson's book, Becoming Your Own Banker. First book. Buy his second book, Building Your Warehouse of Wealth. All right. Buy the DVD, Banking with Live, Banking with Live DVD. Buy how privatized banking really works. Carlos Lara, Dr. Robert Murphy. And then buy Nelson's six and a half hour recorded live seminar. All right. And you can get them on uh, my website. You can get them at NNI, infinitebanking.org. Wherever you get them, get them. Right. So while if you want an education, that's where you go. That's how you get the basis in dang near complete education. Above that, Education above that is going to be with your experience and application, all right, which is nirvana if you're practicing banking. So if you want to spend $4,500 on a weekend excursion with um, somebody, if you want to spend $2,999, $2,999 for uh, a top premier 1% course work or whatever the names are, I don't even know what they are. Fine. Spend all that money after you spend the money purchasing the material that I just went through and reading and listening more than one time to that material. You will be able to recognize the noise in in 20 seconds flat. My prediction. All right. Thanks for letting me share that. You're welcome.
I'm what else you have, Mr. Griggs? I think that's pretty good. I mean, there may be more to come. I don't know how much more. I think we covered quite a bit, but. You know, I was going to bring up this article that, um, you know, it's an industry article. The U.S. sales of life insurance policies hit a four-decade high. Hasn't seen this level of sales of life insurance since 1984. Mm-hmm. In the midst of this deadly pandemic. Like, really? Maybe, maybe the all-American individual is tired of the Wall Street shenanigans. Maybe it has nothing to do with the deadly pandemic, quote unquote. Maybe the all-American individual is tired of losing control or not having control of their capital. I'd like to think so. I don't know. I think it probably (laughs) is a lot of fear motivated buying. There's a lot of fear buying out there. There's yeah. no question, but... Uh, Which is, it, it's okay to protect yourself. Everybody's underinsured as it is anyway, so, you know, some is better than none. But, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if all the, uh, you know, the four, four time, all-time high for 40 years is because people are systematically capitalizing and properly designed dividend-paying whole life insurance. I said maybe. I don't think most... <clears throat> the uh, I don't think most people live in fear. Um. Yeah, I know. I wish most people wouldn't live in fear and make decisions out of fear or any other emotion that's out of balance. Um, but I, maybe I choose to believe that people are go. tired of the uh, false narrative that we're surrounded in and they want to do something different. Um, but I could be wrong. All right. Well, I had fun. Me too. Thanks for listening. Bye, y'all. Thank you for joining us on the Banking with Life podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe and click on that little notification bell. Otherwise, join us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher for weekly content.